live from the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino. It's Throw the Flag with Willie Ramirez and Gooch. Cold outside. It's great. You can look at my chest and you could probably cut some glass with my my nips. But my thing is, is you are wearing shorts right now. I was looking at, well, what's crazy is you say look at your chest. When you turn to the side, you sort of disappeared. Right. Because that paper-thin bird (laughs) chest of yours. Bird chest. On ESPN Las Vegas. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket There you go. Throw the flag back again after a two-week layoff. Gooch, Willie Ramirez back again over here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook. Treasure Island Hotel and Casino. Two-week layoff. We had one week. Well, it's been two weeks since we were here, right? Yeah, Is so that what you call it? It's just a one-week okay, layoff. Okay, just a one-week layoff. Okay, I'm still getting used to this. I'm still getting used well, to well, this. Well, it's almost the end of the season. Oh, well, exactly. We only got three shows so, left. Right, so, so in four weeks, you'll be good to go. Or, yeah, exactly. here's the thing, and I might not even make next week because I'm still on Baby Watch. Will oh, we? my God. Dude, we've had. It's all right. Lindsay and I will hold it down for, I, for, I have uh, no for, doubt. for two hours. Well, that's why I'm, like, really afraid of Lindsay taking too much mic time because I just I see myself kind of getting kicked out of the t- kicked out of the square a little bit. Nobody can well, replace you, Gooch, not even your uh, child. No, you're the best, Lindsay. Thank you for making me feel so pretty. No, he's replaceable. <laughs> <laughs> So, like I said, three. I was waiting for shows. a different song. I mean, "Welcome Back's cool. We've used it earlier this season. I, I was. I, I. I thought maybe we'd get a little peaches and herb. Peaches and herb. Okay. Okay. Well, then next week. Next Do you week, know what peaches? And no, herb? I don't. Which one's that go? How's that go? Oh, peaches that, and that herb. would be reunited. Reunited and it feels. Yeah, but we, we can't never, do it next we week. Didn't, we We never broke up. That would like it. That would. No, that we, would had a, we had. We had. A, we had a holiday. We had Thanksgiving. We had a layoff. We had a one week layoff. Okay. And then, you know, so it's like we're reunited here for the final home stretch. And now you're going to go and have to you're gonna go, slacker. You're going to go have a baby. You're going to go have a baby to not dedicate any time to this weekly Jeez, radio show. You and Max show. Crosby, baby watch. <sighs> Putting all of us on alert. It's good to see Gooch has his priorities in check. Taking care of his baby. Hey, if Jeez. Max can perform, so can you, Gooch. Thank you. I mean, we were Once just, again with the save. We were just getting warmed up. But... The sad truth is, though, is we have three weeks left, Will. Yeah. And I really felt like we were hitting our stride. I really felt like it. Actually, no, I felt like we were hitting our stride probably like in week four or five. I felt like uh, it's just been good. The inside jokes have been growing. I like the direction of the show. Then Lindsay's like a bigger part of it. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. I love this three And then all team. of a sudden, we go head-to-head. You lose. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, and by the picks. way, I'm looking up right now at the big screen down here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. And who do I see but our good friend from Las Vegas, Stormy Buonantani. She is on the sidelines for the MAC Championship. Super cool. Yeah. From VEASAN. Yeah. Former ringside reporter. But, of course, I've know her father from way back in the day he went to western okay and we're going to talk to somebody in a little bit who went to school i believe with rich i love how you know everybody in this town and don't everybody in this town remind yourself don't forget it was that a threat the second that you are ready to cross (laughs) me think to yourself wait a minute willie may know somebody i just learned the i just learned uh the actual term for 86 the other day and it's and, and so you throwing that in there makes me think like i don't know yeah, you can get eight, yeah, you take a baby watch week off and you could get 86 from the show. Exactly. So they we take had my we, career out to the desert. We eight. we had some old school Vegas talk going last night in the press box at Allegiant Stadium at the Pac-12 Championship, me and somebody who's been here for a long time. 
long time. Yeah, uh, and then there was a, a, an out-of-town reporter, Arash Markazi, came and sat down with us. And Arash loves to hear old Vegas stories, at least once a visit. He wants to hear something that went on. We, I took him out one night. It's Stanley Cup year. Golden Knights was in between games one and two, I think, or before game one. And I took him to uh, Piero's. And then we went to go see my uncle's show. And he thought it was the, like, you know, he felt like he was back in old Vegas. And the one thing about Vegas, too, is I'm talking so much about it is because I don't think there's been a city that has transformed more than this town. It just seems like we're always changing. So there's always some grand memory. Well, it's memory. not even that it's changing. It's that it's, it's evolving, getting to the yes. next level. It's just keep growing. Like, you know, there are cities that change, and then they change again, they change. It's just completely different. This one just keeps getting bigger and growing and adding to its attraction in different ways. Yeah. And everybody has these memories, though, of places that aren't even around anymore. And I think that's what talking about old Vegas just makes us all think because you could go, oh, yeah, you know, this this place used to be this old hotel, and then you got a memory associated with that. But then when you go into the new one under new ownership, new name, for some reason the memories just don't match up. Even though you're in the same building, yeah, it's 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 just different. It's the you know what? As a matter of fact, today on on Twitter, uh, somebody tweeted out about packed bars at seven a.m. for the uh, U.S. Uh, loss yeah. for, the, for the elimination game of the United States. And uh, <sighs> I, I had replied, I was like, "You're talking, you know," or I just put out there, you know, bars are bars are getting packed, being packed between six thirty and seven o'clock this morning. In anticipation of an event, we were leaving packed bars at right. 6.37 back. Someone replied, was like, well, that still happens. Was, yeah, but the vibe is different. Yeah, totally different. Now, yeah, when you're doing, when you're waking up to be at a bar at 7 o'clock, it's totally different than No, leaving. I mean, the vibe is different from leaving. If, if there are packed bars and nightclubs in 2022 in Las Vegas, it ain't the same as it was no. in 1987. No, no, no. There was a different feel. There was loungewear, yeah. evening gowns. Well, I don't want to go that far. It was just a different vibe. It was just a different feel. It was Women don't even per- wear heels anymore, guys. They were they were like persona. sneakers and stuff to the club. I wouldn't even know. Well, how are you going to shuffle with high heels? And Lindsay? it depends on what well, club you go. Into. I just want to be able to get away if I got to run. That's my rationale. Look, my thing is, is if I'm going to go to a club, I'm going to wear shoes because if I'm going to whip it, I'm going to nae right after it, and I can't. <laughs> Gooch wears heels, but that's only when he's ever headed to a club that <laughs> is preceded by or ends with a, with a mint. Right. Spearmint, peppermint. Dude, like hey, that. look, I have a son on the way, and if i got to get some untaxed money in, in, in my draws, yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm just right. concerned well, about your nene. <laughs> Dude, it's top notch. My nene, I give it a solid 8 out of 10. Wow. Yeah. Well, this is just kind of just taking a turn. Uh, so last night, Pac-12 championship, Utah derails USC's path to the national championship playoff picture, the college football playoff. USC had been in the top four, and it will not be anymore. Um, Utah. Now, Caleb Williams, their Heisman candidate quarterback, popped his hamstring, as as they described it in the postgame press conference. He also had a brutalized pinky on his throwing hand. You could see it. Uh, there was a close-up picture someone posted. So it was uh, something that – He still balled out. It was t- He did ball out, and he and he put everything out there. It's just that it diminished his role in terms of what he's capable of doing um, as a dual-threat quarterback. Now, that being said, USC's tackling was atrocious, and that has nothing to do with Caleb Williams. So 
I, 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 as much as I would like to say, well, USC could have done better if Caleb Williams didn't get hurt, their tackling was terrible. And I kind of remember this happening in Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma, too. It was the offense was so loaded. But then the defense, when the defense had to step up and actually kind of make some stops, it was the same thing, more of the same exact thing. Yeah, so uh, Utah will go on to the Rose Bowl. They're the two-time defending Pac-12 champs now. We're going to talk to John Gold later on in the show. Um, He was there last night. Got some questions for him. Um, Lincoln Riley, of course, is taking a lot of crap on Twitter for not pulling Caleb Williams and ignoring his quarterback, saying, don't take me out. You're a sophomore. You're not even 21, and you're dictating your, you know. So um, we'll also talk a little bit about Kyle Whittingham, Utah coach, and a lot of other things that we'll get into, uh, maybe even a little Marcus Royal UNLV talk. Um, The Raiders, they are home tomorrow in a rematch from last year's absolute regular season finale for the entire NFL, the very last game took place here at Allegiant Stadium, went down to the very last second. The Raiders win it with a field goal. Carlson's walk-off field goal sends the Raiders to the playoffs, sent the Chargers to vacation. Now, they open the season in Inglewood, and the L.A. Chargers got revenge there, but there's nothing more the Chargers want to do than come back into this building and get revenge. And after the way the Raiders played last week, I mean, this was a completely different team than what we saw earlier on in the season. I mean, they were playing great. And, look, it also doesn't help. It also doesn't hurt when you had Josh Jacobs doing what he did. I was playing fantasy, Willie. I know you don't play fantasy. He racked up 50 points for one, to, for, for one guy. 50 points, which is, like, crazy yeah, in fantasy big, football. Right? Yeah. Crazy. Do you have him this week? Uh, no. I don't have. It. I don't have to go up against the guy who's got Josh Jacobs. Oh, you don't have Josh Jacobs. No, I don't. No, my buddy had him. He was play, he, he was playing another team, and he had he racked up fifty points. And everybody who had Josh Jacobs like went. Where are off. you in? Where are you in the? I'm standings? in third. In I'm third. in third spot. I'm in third place. Now, I, is Adam Hill in this league? No, he is not. So, so, you, just, so you have a shot. Yes, I, well, that's the thing. <laughs> Adam Hill. I don't know how he ends up being so good at fantasy football because there is so much luck that goes into it, and the five percent of skill does make so much of a difference. Well, let's – okay. I'm going to have to defend Adam on this one because, in reality, I get what you're saying, and that's if you play one – like, Adam plays a ton of leagues, but, like, him – I think I told you this at the beginning of the the season. There are two people, like, I would consider, like, saying, okay, hey, this is his high-stakes league, and at the end of the season we're either going to owe a couple of hundred or a thousand or you're going to – or we're going to collect money. There's only two people I would put my – I would – I would have faith in, and it's Adam Hill or Alan Liker, the assistant sports editor at the Review Journal, because it's not luck when you win every single year, one, two, three, however many leagues you get in. Now, he doesn't win every single one of them, but he wins his lion's share. There's a lot more to luck when you are a consistent winner in what you do. Well, that's kind of like the analytics approach in baseball, where I know when it first got introduced, people kind of like balked at it, but then when you see that the numbers are adding up, it does mean something in sports. It even means something in football, even though you don't want to rely too much on the numbers. Because, again, in football, you never know what's going to happen. And that's why you guys just got to be, be on your toes, be on that wave wire, and pay attention to everything. Well, Rick Gosselin's going to join us uh, next hour. We're going to talk some NFL. But Golden Knights are out of town. And, well, Gooch, you know what time it is. What time is it? 
Marty McFly went back to the future with the help of Doc Brown. Willie and Gooch get to look into the future with the help of Professor Brown, better known as Downtown Lindsey Brown. Put that thank you cap on. Oh, I love the intro. It's so majestical. It's like Lindsay just comes in on a broom. So special, you guys. So special. And um, I'm not going to lie because I've been a little under the weather this week and because I don't have cable, I haven't been able to watch the Golden Knights this week. But I've been watching a lot of other hockey. And I got a list of five forwards for you guys to share that I think are some of the best forwards in right, front of the net for differing reasons, of course. They all can't have the same skill This set. is in case Gooch wants to play fantasy hockey. Correct, okay. correct. Thank this is where you, you can make your money back, Gooch. Here, here it is. Well, let's start with uh, everybody's favorite uh, not-so-native son, Joe Pavelski, who's uh, on the Dallas Stars. He's the real tip OG. He's one of the best guys in the leagues that you want to have in front of your net in terms of getting tips, in terms of collecting rebounds. And he's made it one of his mainstays in his game as he's in his, uh, I think, his upper 30s now, and he's still making $5 million a year. But a guy who's probably close second place to his skill set in front of the net, that would be Chris Kreider for the New York Rangers. He had an unbelievable year last year and just the Rangers in general did because he was on fire in front of the net, especially on power play goals. And the reason why this whole kind of list came to be was because I was watching the Minnesota Wild play the Edmonton Oilers the other night. The Wild beat them five to three, playing a physical game, not allowing Connor McDavid to get up to speed, kind of like the notes we were given a few weeks ago. But Ewell Erickson Eck has turned into one of the best two-way centers and is the guy that they put in front of the net during the power play because of his awareness, because how crafty he is and how mean he is. He gets a lot more points than you would expect, and you would need the Minnesota Wild to get a lot more points from him just to kind of make up for the absence of Kevin Fiala, who signed with the L.A. Kings earlier, I should say. Uh, was traded to L.A. earlier this year. I have another person on the Dallas Stars that would be probably the young star that I would build my franchise around. Right now, there's a lot of young talent in this league, guys, but the best guy running is Jason Robertson. Have either of you guys seen him play yet? No. He's about 23 years old. He's tall as hell, but he goes downhill, relentless to the net, does not stop until he hears the whistle. And he's the guy that's really the engine for that Dallas team that you would expect. Oh, they have a lot of talent. You expect a lot of scoring. They like low-scoring games, and most of those points are coming from Jason Robertson. And lastly, or I should say we got two more. We got Alexander Barkov of the Florida Panthers. He yep. attacks the sides of that a little bit further out, but he's one of those guys that can create a lot of havoc in the soft areas of the ice where a lot of defensemen slow up. So he really attacks gaps super well. And then Mark Stone, who I think is absolutely top five. A collector, uh, a, a heel-to-toe release on his shot, which makes it hard for goaltenders to read. But uh, that's why I really like him in front of the net rather than on the bumper on the power play. But, you know, that rotation sometimes gets him a little bit of both when the Golden Knights are working it. All right, so and here's why that's important since we do have to talk a little bit of betting since we are at the Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Great information, of course, as always. So the Panthers play tonight. Barkov is plus 140 to score a goal. The Rangers play. They are plus 110 to score a goal. Mm -hmm. uh, Stone is plus 220 to score a goal in Detroit. And there was one other one that is playing. You said Erickson Eck, right? Yep. Yeah, he's plus 170 at home against Anaheim, which Oh, wins, I'd be all over that. Right? I'd be plus all 170. over that. So, I mean... Uh, there you go. Lynn's giving you some future. Like, we got our best bets coming up in a little bit, our best bet segment. Lindsay giving you some player props to look at, some great stuff there. The Golden Knights do play in the Motor City tonight, playing at Motown, uh, looking to shake off that loss. But Lindsay coming strong with the player props. 
Gooch, Kreider, Barkoff, Stone, and Eriksonek in action today. So we'll have to take a look at that. But when we come back, we're switching little things up. Usually you're throwing flags. This time around, it's Big Willie style. Uh-oh. We're doing it after the break. It's Gooch and Willie. We're throwing the flag. We are at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar on ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> now. This one goes out to all the Big Willies. Uh, 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 do it. You know it's Big Willie style, baby. How we doing it? There you go. It's your favorite rejoin. I know. I know. I don't want to bounce with it, but I do. Once again, throw the flag back again over here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook, Treasure Island Hotel Casino, ESPN Las Vegas. Gooch, Willie Ramirez. And it's Willie's turn to throw the flag, which is a departure from weeks previous. But I'm interested. What are we going with today? Well, I'm not really throwing the flag. I'm just going to bring up, you know, there was a... uh, there was a firing earlier this week. You don't say. Yeah, UNLV football, former football coach Marcus Arroyo was let go. 7-23 tenure. Um, UNLV athletic director Eric Harper decided he was going to go in a different direction. Um, wants to have someone with a D1 experience. He's going to bring in whomever. I mean, we're hearing a lot of names. Gary Patterson, Kevin Sumlin. It's not going to be Deion Sanders, as I continue to tell everybody who was clamoring, go after him, you can get him. No, no you can't. Um, that was never a shot. It was never in, It was never even. I think it's just because it matches Deion's personality. I think that's the only reason why that's a story. Yeah, but there's no. he has no reason. He might as well just stay at yeah. Jackson State. Because yeah. Jackson State, you know what I mean? I mean, in terms of, like, the history of UNLV football, the, the in, in terms of where this program has been, it's not that big of a step up. Right. So uh, he might as well just wait for the Power Five since the Power Five was beckoning. Um, so here's the thing. A lot of people were saying, using the COVID excuse, well, you can't count the COVID year. The counter was, uh, in, which, in which he went 0-6, and, and and they were probably probably the worst UNLV football team in the history of the program it that year. It was bad. Okay. We get that. People saying you can't use that because everybody had to go through that. Well, not everybody. Because there were 24 first-year Division I coaches in 2020. Ten of those 24 were first-time head coaches. So in reality, his category, not everybody had to go through the COVID year like Marcus Arroyo. It was a level playing field. There were ten because guess what? The All the other of the 131 teams, okay, uh, 107 of them had a returning coach where the players knew the system. And of the 24, again, 10 were first time. So their first time as a head coach, boom, the pandemic hits. Right. Okay. Wait, so kids can't be in Not the everybody has to go to the kids yeah. the classroom. They, they have to do Zoom meetings. Can't be on the field. There's no practice. BS. Call them BS. Throwing the flag on the idiots, the morons that said, everybody had to go through COVID. No. Not every coach did. Not every program did. There were 10 programs, D1 programs in America with first-time head coaches that had to deal with this blindly, he completely. He had to, like, jumpstart a completely new program when the facilities weren't even readily available to him. Exactly. This multi- Like, how do you right, do 20 that? 20-plus-million-dollar facility. All right. Now, of those 10 first-time head coaches, and I want you to look. What am I showing you, Gooch? 
you got no, you don't have to of, read it. Yeah, just what am of, I showing? You got a lot of names and a lot of. Uh, what is it though? It's a uh, win-loss record. What like. is this? It's coaches. a handwritten list. handwritten letter of all this the coaches. This is old. I sat there listening to national pundits, reading articles, reading stories, listening to radio, listening, watching TV analysts. I sat there like, like as if there was no internet, just old school, and I wrote every single name. I wrote. What the what the record was be, the year before they got here, what the year was in their first or what the record was in their first year, what the record was in the second year, what the record was in their third year, every single one. Of the ten first-time head coaches in 2020, two of them showed an improved record from the previous coaches last season in their first seasons. Meaning, those ten first-timers, only two had an improved record from the previous regime's last season in under the headset. Right. Okay? That was another thing everyone was saying. Marcus Arroyo took a four or five win team and went to zero. Well, so did eight other first time. Not that maybe not down to zero, but I'm counting. I'm counting. Okay? Uh there were there's a two win team down from a two win team. There's a three win team down from a six one team. That was Mike Norvell, by the way. Two-win team down from a seven-win team. Two-win team down from an 11-win team. Dave Aranda took over Baylor that was 11-3 and three before he got there, and they were 2-7 and seven first season. Mm-hmm. How many people are going, well, it was a COVID year? Oh, it's okay to say that. Yeah, where's him, the right? excuses okay. there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Rolovich, who everybody's saying, oh, well, why don't we use him? He took over a 6-7 and seven Washington State team that went 1-3. and three. Jeff Scott, South Florida, 4-8 and eight team. Went one and eight. Steve Adazio, Colorado State, took over a four and eight team. Went one and three. There's only one coach. Excuse me. Five had fewer uh, dubs. Two equaled the same from the previous. One season was canceled altogether. That was Old Dominion. Okay. Only two of those ten first-year head coaches improved every season. Of the three seasons. What were their names? Marcus Arroyo. You know, I didn't write down the second Okay, one. I was hoping you were going to give me the first guy's name, and then, and then who's the other goose? Yeah, you know, you know, like what's, funny is, you know what's funny is I, I, I made this whole point to do that, but I didn't write down who the second person was. But I'm looking at it as we're getting there's only there's only ten names, so it's easy to go through. But I can easily uh, find it. Uh, it looks like it was... No, I can't find it. But uh, I tell you, eight of them are still in place. Two have been fired. Jeff Scott from South Florida. He went. Uh, he took over a four and eight program. Went one and eight, two and ten, one and eight. So he's been fired. Marcus Arroyo took over a four and eight program. Went zero and six, two and ten, five and seven. Fired. Ricky Ron, uh, Rain from Old Dominion took over a one eleven team. They canceled the season twenty twenty. Six and seven in his in the second year, which was actually his first, and then three and nine this year. Um, but Danny Gonzalez in New Mexico took over a two and ten team. Two and five, three and nine, two and ten. Ryan Silverfield at Memphis took over a twelve and two team that's now gone eight and three, six and six, six and six. It's kind of unacceptable, right? I would say that. Uh, no improvement. I would whatsoever. have to say the most successful coach out of all of them has probably been 
Uh, Texas San Antonio's Jeff Trailer took over a four and eight team that's gone seven and five, twelve and two, and ten and two since he took over. So um, I don't know athletics. I don't. I, I mean, in terms of like athletic administration, I, I, I you know don't know coaching at the college level, obviously. But what I do know is what I see and what I cover. Um, and what I do know is what you see off the field. And when you talk to the players, you know some of the players. And what's important a lot of times is relationships that are built, chemistry that's built, um, wanting to be a part of the program, wanting to play for your coach, meaning when you get on the field and you're down by X amount of points, you want to put forth an effort and continue to play no matter what the deficit what every player that I've heard that has commented on Arroyo's exit, they've all just said how much of an inspiration he was to them, how he took them under his wing, the lessons that he taught them just on and off the field. Keep in mind, these are like 18, 19-year-old men, and he's over here showing them the way to be even better men. When you have a head coach like that at the college level, it's so important. And honestly, I kind of felt like this year, why would you get – he his starting quarterback got hurt. And well, look, that's that's actually that part is it could be held against him. I believe the one coach that improved was only two seasons, Kalen DeBoer. He went for took a four and eighteen. Well, no, because they didn't. They went three and three, nine and three, and then he bolted for Washington. So, I may have misspoke when I said he may have been the only one that improved right. every single season from from the previous season. But the thing is with the with the Doug Brumfield injury is he's an offensive guru who's been an he's been a quarterbacks coach. Why wasn't Cam Friel who was a starter the majority of last season why wasn't he better prepared why wasn't harrison bailey you know a lot of people said well if he came from the sec to the mountain west conference maybe he really was never an sec quarterback in the first place i said that several times but the point is no matter who you are if you're a quarterback at the d1 level and you're being brought in to learn a new system it's your job as the coach to teach them that and i'm sure marcus would take that upon himself to say yeah there are things I could have done differently, things I could have done better. He's never he's never shied away. He's never pointed the finger elsewhere. Um, I just think, Gooch, that, you know, for someone who's been here for since in a long time, and we're going to talk to John L. Smith about that, about this in a little bit. Um, this gets old. You know what I mean? Um, I get it. Eric Harper, it's not his guy. And that's that's the bottom line. We had Eric Harper on the day, the, the day that this happened at, at on Cofield and Company, and he talked a little bit about it, but you know, he, he wasn't your guy. There was a personality conflict. You're not going to tell me there wasn't. I know there was. Um, this is this is, this is is the same AD that after they won the cannon last week, he wasn't in the locker room. He didn't go in there and congratulate the guys. He didn't celebrate the, the, with them. He may have been at the painting of the cannon, You mean, meaning right after they fired Arroyo because they fired Mark Sorrell right before the painting of the cannon, red. Um but he didn't celebrate with them. He didn't go in the locker room. I've confirmed that with a couple of people. They said we didn't see him in there. So and that says something. That is a huge. That right. is a huge statement. When well, you're, when you're the AD and you're not in the locker room celebrating with the team that just beat you and our your your rival. Right. And and so, the problem is is that like if we go back, I I feel like Tony Sanchez should have gotten another year. I might even think that Bobby Houck. But. You're never going to build anything if you continue to push these guys out three, four years. It doesn't matter, you know, the masses that are crying about, you know, well, they weren't improved and they didn't do this. And how do you, I mean, realistically, you have to be inside the players' minds and heads to see the progress that they feel they've made. 
um, win or lose. And I just feel as if the writing was on the wall. It was too easy to use the excuses that they did. It was too easy to say the things they did because it was all there for the taking. But it wasn't the right time to pull that trigger. I and I feel that. like he needed another year. I believe that. I think after the Hawaii loss, the writing was on the wall from, for Arroyo, which I wasn't a fan of. I thought that they were heading in the right direction. I thought that after beating UNR the way they did, it really galvanized the team, and you could have built off that. But, again, you're not even trying to build off what you just did today. Right. You're, trying, you're trying to take it all down, and now you're going to start us backwards again. We're going to be behind the eight ball again next year with whoever you hire. Yeah, well, we'll wait to see. We'll keep our eye on that. Hopefully there'll be a new coach before this season ends and maybe, maybe before the baby comes. I don't know which comes first. Maybe we'll put a lineup. <laughs> which comes baby. first, Gooch's baby or UNLV's new head coach? Plus 2-5 on the baby. I know who's coming first on the show, and that's legendary columnist, writer, author, John L. Smith, Las Vegas native. He's coming up next. It's Gooch. It's Willie. We're at Treasure Island throwing the flag on ESPN Las Vegas. Gambling for dad, shopping for mom. Dolphins for the kids. By the 1990s, Las Vegas had nearly perfected the family resort. In 1993, Steve Wynn tore down the dunes to make way for his newest hotel. The pirate ship at Treasure Island fired a simulated cannonball across town to the dunes, where the famed sign and hotel were timed to implode with the cannon blast. It was a unique show and a spectacular symbol of out with the old, in with the new. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul no. on fire. Gooch, well, I love that. I, I was watching that video. By the way, it's Gooch and Willie. We're at Treasure Island Gold Triple Sportsbook and Bar. Throwing the flag, ESPN Las Vegas. We do it every Saturday, 9 to 11. So get down here. Nice, lively crowd early. They were here early for the USA loss. Um... Uh, you know how many times I tell that story and people like they try to visualize it where Steve Wynn sat or stood on the pirate ship and he's captain counted it down. They blew the cannons and then the dunes imploded. They televised it live on the news. It was like at nine o'clock at night. People would smoke just bellowing down Flamingo through the Barbary Coast and, and uh, Bally's. It was it was it was a wild scene. Um, I found that old clip and someone who can appreciate old Las Vegas a lot more than I can. And we've shared our thoughts. I've been here since 72 my dear friend, John L. Smith, is a native Las Vegan. John L., how are you this morning? Hey, I'm doing just great, Willie. How about yourself? We're doing good. Um, Gooch, is, uh, he, Gooch is excited because I told him you were coming on. And, you know, we try to share at least one old Vegas story uh, per week. But when I told him you were coming on and that the stories are endless and how many hours we've spent at the old Fellini's or Tap House over uh, glasses of wine and $32 port, uh, he, he's pretty excited. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, those those were uh, great days, what I remember of them. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> but, uh, so true. You know, you, you opened with a great clip uh, of the, uh, you know, of the, the demolition or implosion of the dunes. Uh, you, you know, you might have been in, within eyesight of Steve Wynn uh, in those days. Where I was was standing in the middle of this amazing, huge sea of humanity on Flamingo, and uh, uh, it, it was just it was a it was phenomenal how crowded it all was and then when the dunes goes down the smoke that you have referred to and it was it was it wasn't cigar smoke man it was absolutely just this thick cloud that co covered your clothes covered your shoes 
people were choking, and everyone was standing there. We were way too close, obviously, and I was a half a block or a block away. Uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was, but it was way too close. It was like Mount St. Helens all over again. Uh, and uh, uh, but people loved it. You know, I mean, they're probably knocked ten years off their lives, but but people loved it. I made the same mistake when they imploded the Aladdin. The original Aladdin. Right. I was standing right across the street at Caesars, and then. But luckily, though, I was able to run into the uh, to the forum shops before that. I was like, "Oh my God!" And I just saw this huge cloud bellowing my way. And I mean, I hoofed it back at a Caesars, so I lucked out. I didn't have to inhale any of that. Yeah, this is bef- this is back before uh, COVID, of course, long before. So no one really had a mask in their back pocket, uh, like like the, uh, so many of us do today, uh, depending on what day it is, and. Anyway, yeah, that was that was an amazing thing, and it, and it did represent a transition time for for the uh, the community to uh, you know I mean on the strip, you know the the strip is constantly re- reinventing itself, and so uh, you know the Las Vegas that that our dads and granddads loved, uh, you know, disappeared essentially under their feet, uh, and was reinvented again and again to keep uh, you know to keep the customers coming and keep things. You know, fresher. You know, and John L. We're speaking with John L. Smith, throw the flag, ESPN Las Vegas. Um, John, gosh, man, there's so many avenues to take with this. But uh, the obvious question for our listeners, because you and I have discussed this, I'm sure you've been asked it. I know I have. But as we watched Las Vegas transform, 1989, Steve Wynn ushers in the Mirage. The idea of Las Vegas completely changes, and all of a sudden, we have our first resort. The way that families now visit changed um at what point for you did you start to recognize okay we are on the brink of something oh you know i think really when uh, uh you have to credit the mirage with a lot of that in that generation uh, you know other resorts in previous generations represented that moment right you know uh, i mean there there was well, you, you could, I guess you could go is before my time, but you could go back to when the stands opened, uh, or, or when uh, when some of these other resorts opened because they all brought something different. Always the same, of course. There's slot machines and gambling and and the imagery, the you know, the basically the female imagery selling everything. Uh, there's all of that in common, but there, you know, the towers got taller, uh, the the accommodations uh, got, I think. Uh, more separated. There were there was a a kind of value driven low roller experience that Las Vegas has, and this is one of the things that I think it needs to keep. It has always had that uh, for a lot of the a lot of customers who want to come out but can't afford you know uh, the, the the carpet joint. Uh, and then then it also offered something above and beyond. Uh, for people who were who were coming out for those those special moments or or who could afford it regularly, so you know it's an interesting thing. I, I think I think in my like consciousness, the, the biggest changes came after the Stardust transitioned in their scandal, yeah. but also with what what became the New Vegas was really with the Mirage. A lot of the old images were still around. A lot of the old players were still around, but. Uh, you know the Mirage really kind of ups the game at a time when, when uh, other people were looking uh, to to do more of um, you know when you talk about the family-oriented Las Vegas, 
I remember when the very when the uh, not the first MGM but the second MGM opened. You know, Kerkorian's great big new MGM. Yeah. Uh, but it opened with a theme park, right? And yep. the theme and the theme park was largely unsuccessful uh, because how are you going to out Disney Disney? And uh, people recognized that, and then they started to change it. You know, uh, um, some of the resorts that are still on the strip were born in that in that moment uh, that where we were going to be suddenly family friendly, um, and uh, you know, and that's not to me a great fit for an adult atmosphere. So, so I, I really, I think it takes a special resort to be able to cater to all those different elements, uh, the couples and the and, you know, and the bachelor party crowd and the high roller crowd and the family crowd. So. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, place, but, you know, the Strip's always been this interesting laboratory for marketing. It's a great laboratory, and if you look at it that way, and not just as, you know, like a, a lot of the tourists look at it, they're all caught up in it, but if you look at it, you see how smart the people are who are marketing the place. ESPN Las Vegas, we're speaking with John L. Smith, and you know what? You're right about how different things were. I just got done watching uh, Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage, the uh, Oscar-winning right. performance, and there's a scene where he actually drives up on the sidewalk in front of the Caesars Palace. I mean, it does not look – it doesn't even look like we're in the same country when I look at that scene. It's so nuts. Yeah. Like, the, the walkways it, were totally transformed the, the city. Yeah, isn't that funny, you know? And I think it was Shecky Green who drove into the fountain. So I, I guess a, a drunken uh, – Nicholas Cage is an improvement on the driving skills, but uh, uh, you know, yeah, it is. It is amazing, and that's the funny part about those those uh, movies. They all become because, again, the Strip, especially, but downtown as well to a degree, but mostly the Strip. It changes so relatively rapidly that everything, every movie, is a time capsule. It's like you know, watching somebody pick up a brick cell phone. You know, right. <laughs> it, yeah. wow, what, what the hell is that? And, it used to be uh, cool. You know, so we, we've moved on, man. We've moved on. You know, so what, somebody goes to – go ahead. No, I was going to say one thing we've definitely moved on from um, that – I mean, and you've, you've been here. You remember when there was nothing on either side of the convention center and the spaceship-looking rotunda. We've moved on from just being the running Rebel basketball team. We've moved on from – uh, you know, the little little Caesars books, the uh, the uh, castaways to where we are now. We've married pro sports in Las Vegas. We're in the middle of periods of a hockey game or, or quarters of football games where we're getting lines on the Jumbotron. Did you ever imagine, John, that we were going to have this marriage between pro sports, Las Vegas, and the acceptance of sports betting? No, absolutely not. You know, and I maybe others maybe others thought it. Smarter people than me are are out there uh, by the drove. So, you know, that's a question for the Roxies of the world, who who were there, uh, you know, who who were intellectual on uh, in a in an area that that was really very old school. Uh, so no, I but I still didn't believe it. I, I thought it was too hot a political football for Congress. Obviously, when they passed uh, PASPA, that's really what was going on there. Uh, you know, I, I, I have been uh, in long discussions with uh, former Senator and Governor Richard Bryan on a number of topics, and one of those topics was uh, him grilling the NCAA president 
and asking them, you know, who, who was supposedly so concerned about the dangers of sports gambling. Uh, and he asked him, well, how many investigators do you have investigating these rumors of sports gambling problems? And he said, uh, they have one. <laughs> now, that was back in the early 90s. So, so, but uh, uh, the, idea, the idea that, that anyone believed too much that, that it would be like this, where you've got state after state standing in line, you know, elbowing their way into, into line to, to pick up betting uh, legally and taxed and regulated. I mean, that's a pretty phenomenal change. As I've written so many times in columns, and I guess I can, I can pretty well uh, put those columns away now, but, you know, sports, sports gambling was the last pariah gaming industry, uh, part of the gaming industry. Long after they, they accepted, uh, you know, uh, tribal reservation gambling, uh, the expansion of non-tribal gambling in other states, lotteries, you know, which are the ultimate hustle, in my opinion. Uh, you know, all of these different ways to gamble legally, sports gambling was still the thing that everyone pointed at, you know, uh, that the, you know, uh, the FBI is on the, on the case and all of these other things. And, and, and true enough, there have been scandals, uh, like there are in, in, in every element of, a, of our lives, but you know, have this transition happen is really amazing. And then with the technology that is put, being put on board on a regular basis, I mean, it's kind of a sky's the limit thing. Uh, uh, and uh, at some point it'll change. I'm sure there'll be a downturn. But, but uh, it's really amazing how we've transitioned. And it's just an acceptance of, you know, that people were gambling all along. And now you don't have to, you know, uh, get in the back of the of your smoky neighborhood bar and get down on the bog. John L, I appreciate you coming on, talking some old Vegas. Always enjoy talking with you and uh, getting together, which we need to do soon. You and I have one of our. Uh, we better we better have it. We better make it a cup of coffee because when we get together and have a glass of wine. Something yeah. usually does, you know. Something usually does goes awry, or it lasts too long, or there's too much too, too much money spent. But and we'll have to another time tell the Fellini's uh, thirty-two dollar port a, a glass of port story. So that, um, that's wonderful, <laughs> John L. Appreciate you. Have a great holiday. Much love to Amelia and the wife, of course, Sally. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Willie. And best to your family as well. Take. There you go, legendary columnist and author John L. Smith joining us this morning um, on Throw the Flag. And you can follow him on Twitter at JL Nevada Smith. When we come back, it is the best bet segment, the one that everybody loves. I'm 13 2 and 1. Gooch is 11 and 5. We got two more winners for you coming up from Treasure Island on Throw the Flag, ESPN Las Vegas. What do you say the charger total? I'm looking for 46 only for up to 40,000. Under 46 for up to 40,000. Game 132, what do you see the Cowboy uh, total? 51 and a half only for up to 30,000. How much money did you just bet? That's, uh, see, 225, 325, 525, 550, 750, 900, 11, uh, 1230, 1270, 1370. Uh, it's a million 370,000 plus 10%. Uh, that's how much I risk. Average Sunday morning of football. Yeah, I would say that before the day's over, I, I'll probably end up with, uh, I don't know, maybe $2 million uh, at risk. Not too shabby. 
That's my, uh, I, you know, I was trying to figure out, do we, are we going to do a new, because we got to the point where we were kind of doing some new gambling. One of them, there was a little muddled, so we redid it here and there. But I'm never going to take Billy Walters. I, I think we're closing out the, the this campaign with Billy Walters and, and that 60-minute special soundbite because, you know, he's the greatest sports better of our era. End of story. I couldn't imagine having $2 million. On one game. Oh, I couldn't imagine it. I game. couldn't imagine it. Um, so last week, I got to tell you what. I really want, well, two weeks ago when we had our last bet, I really wanted to beat you. You and I actually took opposite sides of the bet, and I wanted to beat you, and I didn't. I got killed. So now I'm 11-5. to five. You're 13-2-1. What is your prediction this week, Willie? Do you want to know how many personal bets I've made this I've won so far? How many? Well, I beat Cofield. Um, I, I said that, uh, what's his name, for the Steelers would be a quarterback by oh, week Pickett. seven. Kenny Pickett. Pickett. It was like three, four weeks in. Uh, the Jets would get to seven wins. I have the Raiders plus two and a half wins against the Chiefs. That's going to lose. But I have the Texans plus two and a half wins against the Jaguars. And and wagered a couple of weeks ago on our Sunday show, I won lunch from downtown Lindsey Brown. She took her Vikings. I took my Cowboys. Spank, spank. Where does she take you to lunch? We haven't gone yet. We said we're going to go during the holidays. We're going to do. We're going to go hang out and do like maybe some Christmas shopping or something. We'll just grab some lunch. There somewhere. you go. Yeah, Lindsay, top. Just cock of the walk, Lindsay. That's what you are. Top notch is what you are. So right. it was a rough so, week, but then four days later it was rectified. We'll see in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here, so this week I'm taking the Lions. They're at home against the Jaguars. I think the offense is going to be uh, far too much. I think that, you know, I'm not convinced the Lions' defense is anything special, but I just don't think the Jaguars have enough to match wits with the Lions. The Sharps agree with me because the Sharps are the ones that have moved it from Jaguars minus one to Detroit minus one. I got that confirmed. So my pick of the week is the Detroit Lions minus one. Great. Uh, Lions are great A spoilers for sure for the rest of the season. I'm taking the Browns minus seven and a half. I predict Deshaun Watson will show some rust as a passer, but the Texans have the worst, worst rushing defense by a lot. RPOs with Watson and Chubb. Yes, please. Okay. Browns. Just for disclaimer, Gooch's favorite team is Cleveland, so all those reading into him playing his art <laughs> jump on the Texans. That's why I haven't made him a pick all season long. Right. So all of a sudden, when Deshaun <laughs> when Watson, how coincidental, Deshaun Watson, plus I need Houston <laughs> in my bet with Cofield, it makes perfect sense. So what is this Gooch has won three three-team parlays? I don't want it. You know, here's the thing. Everybody that talks about the yeah, – you know what? That you know, means oh, I oh, lost oh, a lot. Yeah. Before. How many parlays have you lost? Let's go over that. Because three – Six to one parlay. So if you bet what an average of what twenty bucks per parlay, fifty yeah. bucks, hundred bucks, thirty bucks, or twenty bucks, twenty, 20 bucks. bucks. Okay, so twenty. There's just one twenty. So you're so that's three sixty, right? Six to one odds. Yes. Okay. There's there's three sixty. Have you put more than three sixty on on betting all year? Well, it's been twenty dollars every single week. Just so I'm one. up. So I'm up with the three wins. That's okay. all it takes is the three wins all of the right. parlay. So when it comes to money, I'm yeah. winning. But so, when it comes so to here's losses, what I want you no. to do with that money. Hmm. I want you to go to the coin shop for your son, and I want you to start buying silver. Okay. Uh, my goal by my birthday in May is to have a hundred is to be sitting on a hundred ounces of silver. Okay. I went to a coin show one day. I think it was after this show, and I picked up um, some bar- silver bars. Picked up a silver coin off uh, a website, a, a legit website. Um, they just ran a Black Friday sale I, or Cyber Monday. Came real close. I was going to get a kilo. I might have. I think what I'm going to do is jack a pirate. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Somalia. Okay. Stick them up. Yeah. You joke, but watch. Silver prices are going to go up, and then your son, and you're going to be like, well, Dad, what did you leave me? He's like, well, 
a sack and a thing of back. I got this thrust. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right, we are one hour into the show. We are just moving and grooving. Uh, we got conference championship Saturday here down at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Lindsey's quarterback in the show. I got James to my left. We are having a good time, so get down here. U.S. isn't playing anymore. They're done. They're out. Boo. Never mind with that. Ah. Next up, we're going to be talking some NFL national pundit Rick Gosselin joining the show. We are back. Gooch, Willie, Gold Flag, Treasure Island, ESPN, Las Vegas. We see eight-yard gains, and was like, wow, what a great run and all that kind of stuff. And that's what happens when everyone does the right thing all the time, you know. Um, you know, the defensive guys get paid, too, and make good plays and all that kind of stuff all the time. So uh, for, for something to come together like that doesn't happen often, but it was great timing for us. Now, back to Throw the Flag. Santa Claus is coming to town. We got a few weeks left, so I figure we, we'll, we'll mix a little Christmas in. We've got to take it back with the Jackson 5. Oh, I don't know if Santa Claus is coming to town this week for the uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders. That was Derek Carr bringing us back, talking about when everything goes right. Well, no kidding. Right. I mean, that's the hardest part of sustaining it. Right. So I don't know if that's going to take place. It is Gooch. It is Willie. We are at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We do it every week, throwing the flag from 9 to 11 a.m., heading uh, kicking off the Second hour, and joining us now is veteran reporter of more than 50 years, 2004 Nunn Award winner and Hall of Fame voter, author, Rick Gosland, coming to the show. Rick, how are you? It is my pleasure to be on in the Las Vegas Airways. Rick, I tell you, you know, it's funny because our, our mutual friend, she uh, she was supposed to come on two weeks now. And both times something has come up, and she couldn't. She's like, but I'm going to make it up for you this week, and I'm going to offer you three names. And when I saw your name, I was like, oh, man, we got to get Rick. He's got me in this power poll, and every week I look forward to doing the power poll. <laughs> I'm like, nobody you, asked, you, me, to, nobody asked you, me to be a part of any kind of poll. Are you commenting? You're commenting, I, I'll quote you in the story. I, 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 you know what? I, don't, I, I, go, I get the results. I, I do the at the beginning of the week, I, I click it, I do the poll, the two questions, and then when I get the review, I, I look for it. And if I'm on the air that day, I try to use it on the show. I throw it in the rundown for another show that I do to bring it up. But so, but it's 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 kind of fun because there there are those questions where it's like garden variety, it's like barbershop questions. It's those questions. Right. It's those conversational pieces. Yeah. It's it's. it's... Like the first one I had was uh, who's the who's the best quarterback Mahomes um, and Josh Allen, uh, and then last week I had one on the, on the playoff said losing teams have you know, it's just yeah it, it's barbershop talk it's exactly that, that's a good description for it it's things you talk about you know with friends or over a beer or at the barbershop just general sports topics without being really uh, specific about like who's the best team or who's going to win the Super Bowl stuff like that. And the funny thing is, too, is when you talk about individual players, especially in football, like it's uh, there's no real answer. Like when you go, who's the greatest wide receiver? And you're like, but you also have to factor in the quarterbacks as well. Like there's so many factors, yep. but it's always fun to talk about. Yeah, it's, you know, I've been on the Hall of Fame committee for over a quarter of a century. And it's so much of, of a Hall of Fame candidacy is based on where you're playing and who you're playing for. 
Um, for instance, Marty Schottenheimer never got to a Super Bowl. Marty Schottenheimer won 200 games. He never had a franchise quarterback. If you look at all the Hall of Fame coaches, uh, except for one, all of them are tied to one quarterback. Paul, Paul Brown and Otto Graham, Vince Lombardi, Bart Starr, Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. The only coach, and I think he may be the best football for this reason, the only coach who won Super Bowls without a franchise quarterback was Joe Gibbs, and he won three of them with three different quarterbacks. Now that's a Hall of Fame performer, our coach there. But, yeah, it's, it's so often it's, it's who you're with. And would Emmett Smith have been the all-time leading rusher in the NFL had he not played for the Cowboys with a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame receiver, and five Pro Bowl offensive linemen? Probably not. Joe Montana, would he be in a Hall of Fame if he didn't go to Bill Walsh? If he'd gone to Cincinnati Detroit, would he be in a Hall of Fame? Probably not. It's all about you know, where you go and who you're with. Is there a name of a player that you can give us that was so unbelievably talented but will never get the recognition just because they were on? Yeah, I, I think there's a guy on the semifinal list right now, and he's, he's a former Raider, uh, Albert Lewis. I covered the Chiefs in the 80s and early 90s, or excuse me, the 70s and the 80s when he was there, and he was as good a cover corner as I'd ever seen. I mean, I, I put his cover skills up with Dion or Gail Reeves or any of them, but he never played for a winning team. And I, it's like 68% of all players in Canton won championships. If you didn't win a championship, they kind of hold it against you. But I think Albert Lewis is as good a cover corner as I've seen, and, and he's the guy that he's in his 25th and last year of eligibility, and he's never been a Hall of Fame finalist. And that's wrong. He, he deserves to be discussed, but because he didn't play for a winning team, that, that's one of that's the cross he's got to bear. We're speaking to Rick Goslin, veteran NFL writer, Hall of Fame voter. You're talking about the Raiders, and we're talking about the Hall of Fame. This Sunday, Cliff Branch, the legend, he, he, I mean, in a sense, in, in memoriam, will get a Hall of Fame ring. Now, Mark Davis played a big role in changing the Hall of Fame policy to allow deceased players to be honored with rings. Um, and this Sunday, the home game for the Chargers, or the home game against the Chargers, Cliff Branch, in a, in a sense, will make history. Um, he was inducted in August, and he'll get his ring, per se, um, in, in his honor. The family of, of Cliff Branch will receive his Hall of Fame ring during halftime. Yeah, I think it all goes back to another Raider, Ken Stabler, where they, they weren't going to let the family talk, and he wasn't going to get a ring and the jacket, and they, and they said, this is wrong. And it started to change with Junior Seau, and now they've, they've done the right thing. If, if a player is enshrined in the Hall of Fame, then he or his family should be in front of that ring, that jacket, and all the perks that come with being a Hall of Famer. I'm glad they, they addressed that. And Cliff Branch certainly deserves, uh, his family certainly deserves that ring for his career. ESPN Radio, Las Vegas. We're speaking with Rick Goslin, and you're talking about Hall of Famers. Now let's go on the other side. Is there a Hall of Famer that has made it into the Hall of Fame strictly because of the team he was on? Well, again, yeah, we can talk about the Raiders, the 1970 <laughs> Raiders. The, 19, the 1970 Raiders went to one Super Bowl, and they got 12 players from that era. 
in the Hall of Fame. If, if they had, they have more, the Steelers only have 11. The Steelers went to four Super Bowls and only went to, uh, and only have 11 in. If the Raiders had more Hall of Famers plus two Hall of Fame coaches, shouldn't they have won four Super Bowls? And that's the question. Who, who, do, you, who do you keep out? You keep out Branch, Belitnikoff, Casper? I mean, who, who, do you, who do you keep off out of Canton from that team? If you got 12 Hall of Famers, my guess is you probably should have gone to one, more than one Super Bowl. So Rick, let's let's fast forward to this season and and what you're seeing. Yeah. I mean, you're you know you've been covering the, the NFL for a long time. This is one quirky season, man. I mean, the, the, a lot of predictions about the AFC West. That division has flopped. Um, the, you know, the it, as it turns out, the AFC East and the NFC East appear to be the two best divisions of football. Um, what do you make as to what's taken place um, this season, um, including? The Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers throughout the season, should they hang it up? I mean, there's just so many storylines that we can go down. And as a veteran uh, writer, you know, how do you sort of just embrace this whole season? And how, well, how have you embraced this whole season? Well, I think it's, it, it's all pointing up to the AFC. I did a column a couple weeks back. They, they've got 11 starting quarterbacks that are 20, I think 27 years of age or younger. And these, most of these guys were first-round draft picks and very high draft picks, the, the Mahomes and the Justin Herberts and the, the Tua's and, and these people. The future is there for the AFC. The, the two best quarterbacks in the NFC historically have been Brady and Rodgers. And those guys, one, one in his mid-40s, one's in his late 30s. You know, who are the quarterbacks coming up in the NFC after those two? You don't have that bench like you have in the AFC. I, I think the AFC playoff is going to be loaded with all the great quarterbacks, the Joe Burrows and the Josh Allens and the Tours and the Patrick Mahomes. And that's going to be a fun playoff first. And I think the NFC champion will be the, the, the survivor uh, of this group. I think the better teams, the better players, the better quarterbacks right now are all in the AFC. Who is the team that you had high beginning the season who is now complete trash like what is the team that you bought into earlier on that is just incapable of doing anything well i thought i thought the afc west was going to be the best division in football yeah i love the quarterbacks love the teams and for santa for uh for the chargers and the raiders to spin their wheels like they have you know we knew the broncos you know you were hoping they'd be better with russell wilson but that hasn't panned out the raiders and Chargers can't get out of their own way you know, the Chiefs will probably get the top seed in the AFC because of that, because the, the, the division wasn't competitive. But I was so disappointed in the AFC West. And, again, I covered the Chiefs for 13 years, and I I know the rivalries in that division. Uh, I love that division, and I expected big things, and it just didn't pan out. What is happening with Russell Wilson, by the way? Can you Like, what is going on? Well, I think part of it, he had – in Seattle, he had a great coach. Pete Carroll had, had, had been in the NFL. He won national titles Southern Cal. He knew how to work players. And now he goes to team with a first-year coach, a guy who's learning how to be a head coach. And I think Pete Carroll did, did a lot of things to steer Russell Wilson out of danger. And I don't think that's happening with um, with, with Nathaniel Hackett. I think uh, – I think he had better players around him in Seattle. When they were good, they had that great defense. They had the, the receivers uh, offensive line. I just don't think he's got the same cast in Denver. I think they put way too much stock on Russell Wilson 
erasing all the problems on that roster, and there are too many of them for him to overcome. ESPN Las Vegas, we're speaking with our good friend, Goslin. Now, once again, we're talking about AFC West. Now, when you're talking about the Raiders, because, again, we got we to bring up the Las Vegas Raiders. We, heading into this weekend, they're already, they got two wins in the last week. How do you think they're going to take off against the Chargers? Well, I think they're a better team right now than the Chargers. And I, again, I talk about the Chargers. When the Raiders got Devontae Adams, I thought, boy, this, this offense is going to take off. I, I love Josh Jacobs. I like Derek Carr. You put Adams, one of the two or three best years, and this, this offense is going to be a, a load to handle. And this just hasn't materialized in that team. You know, Max Crosby on the other side is, is probably one of the three or four best linemen in football. There was so much there, and yet the underachievement, again, you've got a, a new coach. Maybe that's part of the issue, you know, putting in his systems and wanting to get some of his players in. Just, you know, both the Broncos and, and the, Chargers, the Raiders have had first-time first coaches, you know, with their teams, and maybe that's part of the problem. But, I again, I'm... I thought the Raiders were a Super Bowl contender. I thought the Chargers were a Super Bowl contender. I thought whoever came out of the West was going to be the Super Bowl favorite. It turns out it's going to be Kansas City again because the other three couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah, and that's definitely uh, – that was a bit of – I don't want to say it was like a surprise, but it was just – I think I don't think it was the surprise of the Chiefs incline as much as it was the demise of the rest of the division because of the right. expectations that everybody had. Um, I want to ask you just about the history in terms of, you know, you covering this league and how you've seen it. We've asked this to several guests over this, uh, you know, the first 16, 17 weeks of this show. Um, in terms of the safety, you know, um, obviously they're they're looking out for the benefit of the player. They're looking out for, you know, when it comes to the quarterback, they're protecting the player more. Is there any part of it that you feel has maybe – hinder the integrity of the game because the referees are keeping too close an eye on things? Yeah, it's no longer football. You're, you're not allowing the defense to play defense. You can't you can't hit the quarterback. You can't hit the receivers. I think all the offensive numbers are inflated um, because you, you're not allowing these, these great defensive players to actually do what they do best, and that's play defense. That's hit people. I think another problem is that um, – there's no contact. You look at training camps, no one's hitting anymore. They're not hitting in practice. And you're not, I think that we've seen a breakdown of, of tackling. Because of that, I think it's very rare you see anybody wrap up a tackle now with their arms. They want to throw the body at it and try to knock the guy off balance. But I think a big part of the problem is they won't want to play defense. A defenseless receiver, my feeling is if a quarterback's going to run the ball, he's a running back. I would eliminate the slide. You're going to run the ball? Then be a running back. But the slide, how, how many times have you seen penalties on guys, defenders going down and hitting yep. a sliding quarterback? Yep. You know, he, he's already in motion to make a tackle, and the guy goes into a slide, and all of a sudden he's got 15 yards slapped on him. They can't, they're not letting these guys play defense. I wish they'd go back to the bump and run rule, make the receivers work for their receptions now. You know, once upon a time, back in the 70s and 80s, receivers had to fight for every inch of space in the route. So they were getting knocked all over the field. Now you get one touch, and then a receiver has free reign to run. The quarterbacks ought to complete 70% of their passes. Guys ought to be catching 100 balls because you're not allowing defenses to cover. You're asking them to tackle. 
after the catch. And also, you got to give the receiver a step or he's a defensive receiver. You can't hit him until he's taken a step. Again, I'm, I, I'm, it's so disappointing. You know, as a guy who grew up, you know, watching and learning and loving football in the 60s and 70s when, when defense could play defense, it's just so disappointing now to see the game so tilted to the offensive players. Rick Gosselin, we appreciate you taking the time out, talking some NFL. Let everyone know where they can find you. Talk a little bit real quick about the PowerPole.com. Yeah, I got, um, I got my own website, RickGosselin.com. Deals a lot of historical aspects of football. And then the PowerPole, uh, you, you can see that it's, 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 it's all over. Um, we asked a, just, a, 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 like you said, a barbershop question. And we have about uh, 300 people that respond to it. We give the results, you know, what, what, what uh, football thinks about football. We have NFL writers, coaches, players, just a whole roster of, of, of football types that answer these questions. It's a lot of fun. Follow him at Rick Gosselin 9. Rick, we appreciate you coming on, spending some time with us, talking some NFL. We'll catch up with you down the road. Look forward to it, guys. Have a good weekend. All right. Rick Gosselin getting us all caught up. I, I really like the polls. They're, they're kind of fun. Well, they're always fun. Well, it is because they're they're catchy, they're gimmicky. The quarterback one, you know, that was that was to start things off when he first sends it out. But like the last one, so it's it's kind of neat just to see where the results end up because you always want to see. Well, was I with the masses? I generally want to be on the other side. Who would you say is the best wide receiver you've ever seen? Ever? Ever? Oh, we'll discuss that when we come back. When you're about to throw the flag, Gooch, Willie, we're at Treasure <laughs> Island. We'll be back. ESPN Las Vegas. Throw the flag with Willie Ramirez and Gooch. Hello, uh, Aesop Rock. Whipping Renee What's going on, guys? Once again, throw the flag back again. ESPN Radio Las Vegas, Golden Circle Sportsbook at the Treasure Island. Gooch, Willie Ramirez, and now it is my favorite segment. It is the time when I get to throw the flag. And I read this article earlier in the week, and I want to throw the flag at anyone who's disagreeing with Sean Payton's take that he believes the NFL draft should be moved to a lottery system. What do you think about that, Willie? Further elaborate, please. Okay. So basically it would be just like the NBA lottery, and the worst team wouldn't necessarily get the first pick like they do in the NFL. It would probably just be put into a lottery where if you got a bad record, you just get more balls in the lottery. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that because then it kind of would eliminate the tank, though. Yeah, yeah, right. right? I mean, it's like so now you don't have people that are blatantly trying to. I remember watching games where they would pull their starter at like maybe like the last three games of the season. They're already out of it. But right. they would pull their starter just so they would lose the game. They would be up in the game. they they pull them at halftime so they would lose the games. And then you don't know if that quarterback that you draft is going to be good. Right. You, gotta, you, have to, you have to surround him with other pieces. So, yes, I love the idea of the lottery being introduced. And then plus two, look, it's just going to give us something else to watch. NFL fans, we're always dying for things to watch. So after the season, maybe like a week after the Super Bowl, that's when they put up the NFL draft lineup or the, the lottery. Gives us all a reason to gather. The Pro Bowl. Yeah, yeah. It gives yeah. us all a reason to gather around and watch the TV and talk some smack. Right. So it's like I'm all about this. I'm all about that. Lottery in the NFL, give it to me. Second flag I'm throwing. Guys, Watching the lack of support that Team USA gets in the World Cup every single year is disheartening. So I want to throw the flag. I saw saw this one. I'm going to chime in on this. Okay. I want to just throw the flag at this, okay? Because when you look 
at other countries at the World Cup. I mean, they are going all out. Elaborate costumes. Uh, Some of the most beautiful women are just being flaunting in front of you. And then you look at over at America, and it's like, hey, you got some chubby dude with an American flag cape. And it's just there's, there's, and there's like maybe 12 of them, it looks like, in the whole audience. And meanwhile, when you look at the other countries, it's just the other countries' colors are just right there, front and center. I understand that, yes, America has to win. We made it to the semis. That's still a good thing. Germany didn't. America made it to the semis. I'm happy with that. They didn't but make I just, the semis. I mean, not the semis. Round they, of 16. Yeah, yeah. So they made it to the next round, is what Sweet I meant 16. to say. Yes. They made it to the next round. Which is a great accomplishment for America, but it's like, come on, man. I want to see him win. And I just think that if we support him a little bit, they but, would. Okay, so my question is, where aren't you seeing the support? Because if you got the ducats to, to shell out to send people to Qatar, let me know. I'm, where, not, where are you not seeing the support? Because I got news for you. All I saw today was Twitter video. Adam Hill, our boy, was somewhere downtown he had on his story. I've packed bars. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. Dude, I was here, and there was a giant group of uh, Netherlands people over here cheering their butts okay, off but, over here. Okay. And there was like five but, but, Americans. But we're also, okay, but we're also at a hotel where tourists are going to come. I think you need to slow your roll. America, we could do better. Now, listen to me. There was a commercial that played during one of the breaks, Dollar Loan Center. This is a huge, now this is a huge deal, this tour. U.S. Women's Hockey versus Canada. They go on tour. It's a huge rivalry. Will you be at Dollar Loan Center next week? Next week, it depends if the baby's oh, here. No, no, I got no, baby no, watch. No, yeah, I don't care. If Tell the baby's here, it, Gooch, you have to hold it. Hold keep it, it in there. Hold it. Put that water back. <laughs> Get that water back up. I want there. you to support America. I have to support America, Canada. You're going down. Well, in this rivalry, Lindsay will tell you this is. I mean, this is big time. But you know what though? But here's the thing. This is this is what I think America needs. We need. Uh, like the rest of the world hates us, but like, we need like a friendly rivalry like Canada and Amer- and, and America have in women's hockey next week. It's like, not friendly. Been, I'm gonna, I'm it's gonna not because, friendly. Yeah, it's not friendly. Like, like it's not a friendly. It's, it's a friendly, but it's not friendly. It's, it's okay. Like I can't wait to see a fight. Friendly rivalry between country, like between the countries. All right, like you know what I mean? No, it, that's what I'm telling. That's what we're trying to tell you. This is this is brutal. Yeah, okay. Gooch, it's the like, we'll see you in the like, parking lot after the game. It's that yes, type of rivalry. Yes. Like, All right. We'll yes. settle some things. Yeah, Dollar Loan Center next week, dude. All right, well, guess or what? two weeks. Two I'm weeks. just going to post a video of me punching a bowl of poutine, just, like, letting them know that America wins, Canada, you're going down. Matter of fact, it's in two, I think it's in two Wednesday. I think, what is it, the 15th, I believe? It sounds about right. Yeah, so it's in a couple of weeks, so you t- Tell her to push All right. it out. Squirt. Team USA. Get if the baby isn't here, I'm going for sure. I'm cheering him on. I think you named the baby after the, the most recent USA goal scorer. Let's just take it a whole nother step Listen, later. On your way home, you pick up some Serrano peppers and a ton and, and just and feed them to her. Let me just tell you guys something. Have her push that through. And Let a bounce ball. <laughs> Let me tell you what's really sad, by the way. I know no names of USA soccer. No names at all. And I'm over here yelling, come on, guys, let's support him. And like, tell me the name of the goalie. And I'm like, uh, Smitty? I don't know. No, I would, I would have to say that they're – I mean, I get what you're saying, and I can appreciate what you're saying, but I've been pretty impressed in watching, like, like Tyler Bischoff's had some watch parties. Um, I think Jared may have had a watch – I know that there's been some watch parties. Tyler's been uh, – because he loves soccer. Tyler he's been, loves he's it. He's been spearheading the watch parties, and he was telling me – uh, I seen him at the UNLV football game, and he was like, "No, there was a lot of there was a different." Uh, Adam Hill walked into Twin Peaks a couple weeks ago for the opener, and they and as the door as the uh, as the bar opened, it was just before kickoff, and it 150 people walked in there. You so know, there's a lot of support around for the local bars. All right, 
Maybe maybe I'm just seeing it on television where it's like, man, there's like six guys wearing you, uh, red, white, and blue. And yes, yeah. I know Qatar and, is expensive. And but. yet we and yet the show started with U.S. playing the Netherlands, and Gooch has no red, white, and blue on. No next, red, white, and blue next, on. Oh next. man, well, 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 I mean this this gray Raiders shirt could count as kind of white if you take the black Move on, out of flag it. Guy. Okay, <laughs> we're throwing this one. And this last one, I'm throwing to the flag at anyone who wasn't grateful because I saw this story and it made me grateful just to be an American uh, because it was all about a lady who drank beer out of her prosthetic leg last Monday at the Laker game. She's in a Marine, Annika, Nadine Hutzler. You are a true American hero for several reasons. <laughs> Lindsay's dying. Dude, I want I just, I, cause here's the thing. Adapt, I can't do overcome. That. <laughs> yes, to back to overcome, and then you're like, you know what? You're not going to bring me down. Okay, I'm going to pound this beer out of my prosthetic leg. And this USA. is why you should be grateful. Damn it! Yes. Some, here's the deal. Some people. Some people. Some like, people don't have a prosthetic leg to drink beer out of. That's I, I, that's why I'm kind of ungrateful. I'm like, I can't do that with my leg. I, can she, and this is a question I have though. With the prosthetic leg, did she buy a twelve dollar beer? pour it in the leg and then drink it or or did she do it true american hero style smuggle the beer in then drink it that's Ooh. what i want what's know. the thing called uh lance what's it called when you when they do the the can and you hit and you punch the hole and then they, they shotgun yeah shotgun yeah can, can you shotgun I, out of a prosthetic leg that's, that's exactly well, that would be a little bit hard. So Lindsay, have to, Lindsay looks just like, completely discombobulated. Now I'm like, trying what? to. These guys right, are going yeah. off like, the did rails. Did she bring it in herself? I mean, I've stuck booze in, uh, in my pants before, but if I had a prosthetic leg, that's just a completely different imaginative uh, starting point. You know, let, yeah. me tell, let me tell you something. When I used to work at Fuddy Duddies on Industrial, <laughs> old nightclub, with girls from Crazy Horse 2, every Tuesday we'd meet at Fuddy's. The manager, me, some of the dancers, we would make coolers up to go to Wet and Wild, okay. the original Wet and Wild by Sahara. Yeah, and he would uh, Gary would put in these clear Tupperwares because it had to be clear if you're going to bring stuff in. He put beer in one, he put wine in the other. Well, they looked like tea and fruit punch. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. See, we would do that with pre rolls. Uh, we were good. We would, if I were smuggling things, it would just be one of the Ziploc bags. And you kind of tape it to your leg, so you can't fill it up all the way because if you do, it's going to leave too big of a mark. But you you, take, you fill it up about a half way, and you tape it around your leg. <laughs> you know, it's the theme of today, Lens, is sack. Sack. Can, yeah. So exactly. Gooch leaving a sack. They're big behind parts of my him. life. Yes. Well, <laughs> that kid's going to be set in about twenty years. What happened to Gooch? I don't know. But I don't know. With all that it, silver. But he did. <laughs> <laughs> he left behind silver and tree. I'm <laughs> Gorilla Glue. Uncle Willie's, Uncle Willie's still around. Look, and we didn't think he was going to last five years after Throw the Flag. But Gooch little did I is realize, gone, and Willie is here. Little did I realize that Willie Will, because this does not sound like Willie Ramirez advice. This sounds like Willie Will advice would be my financial advisor. And I am all for it. I'm all for it. All right, now, let me ask you this. Not to get all religious or anything. Like, are you... Are you Christian, Catholic, are you are you going to get your kid baptized? Or? Uh, my girl is Christian. Um, you know, I I, I I might. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it. My, my thing is, though, is a little bit later on in life. I will tell you this. I my Younger Gooch was not a religious person at all, not spiritual at all, because I thought it was 
kind of punk rock or metal to be. I don't know. But now the older that I get, the older that I get, I see that there's there's benefits. You know what I mean? There's benefits. There's a oneness. There's a there's there's something to giving yourself to a higher power, whatever that may be. That's not really why I was asking. Uh, <laughs> was there's, a re- there's a reason why I was trying to get into it because you know when the Godfather's named. Uh, I'll expect the call. I'll expect the call. You know, uh, the, uh, the day of my daughter's wedding. The day of my son's birth. Let's, let's, I come let's, to Godfather let's Willie. Be, let's be real. You, you never wanted my friendship. You never asked for it. Oh, come on. I've been trying to get your approval from day one, Willie. You're the dad I never had. Oh, on that <laughs> note, we're out. I'm going to slap this kid. All right, when we come back, it is Gucci <laughs> Willie. We're at Treasure Island Gold Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We are in the home stretch, about to hit the fourth quarter. Coming up, it is John Gold. He is joining us. He was, uh, we were sitting together for the Pac-12 championship from Saturday out west, and that is next on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, there's definitely. I mean, he popped his hamstring on the on the long run. That was what on the second or third drive of the game. Um, and I asked him at one point, I was like, "Are you 50 percent?" And I mean, he was not even close to 50%. And um, I definitely thought about taking him out. I, he wouldn't have let me, um, and he didn't let me. And um, he wouldn't even let me take him out at the end. And, and uh, it was, yeah, in, in terms of guys I've coached at that position, it was maybe the gutsiest performance I've ever seen. I mean, most guys wouldn't even play. So let me tell you something. Caleb Williams may not be bad, bad Leroy Brown, but bad, bad Leroy Brown couldn't have done what Caleb Williams did last night. And our next guest said, I want to hear a little Jim Croce when I come on the show. And I said, I got you. So we are back at this Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We are throwing the flag. Willie and Gooch on ESPN Las Vegas. John Gold calling us for Saturday out west. How are you, sir? Up this morning. Willie, I'm better now that I got to hear some Jim Croce in the morning. Appreciate it, my man. (laughs) So... So I was going right operator, to but I'm happy. You heard Lincoln Riley speaking about Caleb Williams. Was that the gutsiest performance you've seen in person? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was up there. It was up there. Um, if it was just the hamstring, I think you'd say, all right, you know, um, good, not great. But you throw in that mangled pinky that looked like it oh. was put in a blender. Yes. Uh, yeah, altogether, uh, you know, missing his starting offensive guard, who's an All-American, um, you know, when you put all of it together, yeah, pretty, pretty darn gutsy, but at the same time, that's, that's kind of what you do in, in conference championship games, I think. I think you just try and, you know, if you can move, you're on the field, and, you know, he did his best. And this morning I'm reading, you know, he's taking a lot of crap on Twitter. Um, you know, this is a sophomore. In your eyes, I mean, should he have taken him out, or, I mean, how we can't say we're not college football coaches, but in, I mean, uh, in our estimation, with what's going on today in football, pro, college, injuries, I mean, uh, he could have further damaged his kid's career. But at the same time, how do you deny him? Yeah, exactly. I, you know, he basically said, uh, "Will uh, Lincoln Riley basically said Caleb Williams wouldn't let him take him out." Um, but I think one of the issues, and, and I kind of got into this my column in my column this morning, out of all the positions that USC has depth in. They didn't really have quarterback depth this year. Miller Moss is not the guy you turn to. They're, they're, that's a completely different offense under Moss than it is under Caleb Williams. And so if he had anyone who could even kind of run a similar system or scheme, I think he might have pulled the trigger on that. But, you know, you get to that point in the season, I think you just got to kind of lay it all out on the line. And, if, and, again, if your guy can move at all, 
you keep him out there. And, and Caleb Williams is not the reason they lost that game. You, you have to say that, right? That's, that's um, exactly he right. He made a couple throws late on the game, basically on one leg, that were you just like, how do you do? How are you doing this at this point? And so, yeah, I don't think you can put the blame on Williams, but I think you give Riley a couple of years at USC to recruit, and he gets one or two team quarterbacks who can do what he wants. And I don't know if they're in that position again uh, next time. He could definitely use some defense. We're speaking with John <laughs> Gold, ESPN Las Vegas, and John. After watching the game, Utah was top ten starting the season, so there are some people out there that are actually kind of surprised by them just winning, but not winning by this much. Is it, fa- is it fair to say that Utah could be the face of the Pac-12 conference? Yeah, I mean, I think Utah is the face of the Pac-12 conference, um, and, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing, right? I, I think the fact that Kyle Whittingham is the second longest tenured head coach in college football right now, he's been there as an assistant, as a coach for almost 30 years. He, you know, he played at BYU. I mean, this is what they mean when you talk about building a program from the ground up. Um, you know, they were a Mountain West team, and they got to the mountaintop. They went undefeated. They come to the Pac-12, and they have a couple stumbles and, and you know, some five and seven years. And I asked uh, Whittingham about that in, in the press conference last night, about kind of what, how they regrouped from that little dip they had in the early 2010s. And, you know, it really just comes down to putting a great program together, recruiting from the inside out, recruiting the offensive line and the defensive line before you're recruiting receivers and DBs, uh, and certainly quarterbacks. You know, Cam Rising kind of fell into their lap. Uh, You know, I absolutely love what Whittingham has done, uh, especially given the fact that USC and UCLA are leaving in a couple years. To me, it's almost like, all right, win one for the good guys, right? Like, you know, this is – that was my lead today. Like, I, I, it almost would have been a shame if Lincoln Riley comes into the Pac-12 in year one with a $10 million contract and poaching guys from all over the country and, you know, basically free agent. They're the Yankees. And, you know, for, for Utah, of all teams, to be the one to kind of uh, deny that, I think really speaks volumes on, on Utah and on the conference itself. So you sent a tweet out last night, and you know you know how it is in, in games like this. Before it was apparent that it was a, you know that Utah was going to sort of just seize control. Um, you, the lead changes, the storylines change. My my colleague had the lead. I was right in the sidebar. He had USC. No matter what took place, I was writing on Utah. My lead changed two three times. But you sent a tweet out regarding Whittingham's legacy in terms of is he the best coach in the Pac-12? And I I actually. It, it just started getting me Googling and checking things out and everything, and I ended up run, that was my angle, and it was more so, you heard my question, does this guy belong in the same conversation at this point as Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Kirby Smart, Jim Harbaugh? I mean, when you say top college football coaches, why isn't his name, is, is it because there's no national title attached to him? Yeah, you know, no Rose Bowl appearances until last year, and they didn't win. Uh, you know, no national titles. I mean, look, people really forget what he did in the, in the mid-2000s where it was, you know, Alex Smith and they went undefeated and won the Fiesta Bowl. And we're talking, you know, they've been a top program for years. Um, Whittingham is a little understated, right? He, he's not the guy to, to make news when it's not about football. Um, you know, it's Utah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like ultimately uh, there's not exactly a, I wouldn't call Salt Lake a media hub of the world, right? Um, you don't have kind of like, the SEC machine where even, you know, even 
Kentucky fans and Auburn fans will be, you know, almost kind of defend Nick Saban just to defend the SEC. Uh, and so ultimately, yeah, he, he doesn't get what the, the respect, the attention he deserves on the national scale. I think that's insane. I think he is not just one of the best coaches in the country. I think he's one of the best leaders of men and organizational kind of CEOs that I've seen in business or sports in general. I've covered a lot of different sports and a lot of different coaches. The attitude that he takes, uh, the way he talks about his own players when they make mistakes, you know, he never says Cam Rising. He says the quarterback. It's this weird thing. When, when Cam Rising throws four touchdowns, he said, yeah, Cam was great. When Cam Rising throws three interceptions, he said, yeah, we had throwing issues today. It's just there's, there's a nuance to him. There's a, a sophistication to him. He's not just one of the best coaches in, in college football, in my opinion. He's one of the best coaches I know. ESPN Las Vegas. We are speaking with John Gold. And earlier this week, Marcus Arroyo was let go from his coaching position at UNLV. And is UNLV an attractive landing spot for coaches, especially with the new facilities that we've recently been gifted us? Uh, I mean, no. You know, bluntly, no. Um, you know, I used to write for the Las Vegas Review, Review Journal about a dozen years ago now. And, you know, it's just not, there's not the infrastructure, there's not the support. Um, you're learning more and more and more, you know, if, if this isn't like a top on down, the athletic director, and even in some cases the school president prioritizes football more than anything else, and sometimes at the expense of other things. You know, I think football coaches like to pretend to be diplomatic and say, like, no, we care about women's golf, and we care about, you know, men's crew or rowing or whatever they call that sport. But ultimately it comes down to what, what pays bills, and there are some programs that understand that. There are some programs that have known that for years. There are some programs that deny it. You know, you take a UCLA and, uh, and a Stanford maybe, and they kind of have their noses up at the world, and it's like, no, we're proud to win, you know, win, women's soccer national title. And it's like, okay, but, you know, you're not going to get Lincoln Riley next time around. You might get a Chip Kelly, <laughs> you know, who blew it at you, uh, at, uh, in the NFL. But, you know, right. going back to UNLV, again, just not necessarily the infrastructure, not, certainly not the history or the heritage. I think they needed, you know, I, I, I don't know if I love this hire, but like a Deion Sanders type who's going to kind of come in and galvanize things and really sort of, before you even worry about the product on the field, just get some excitement and some donor support and some, some real buy-in from the university, and then you worry about what you do on the field. So, yeah, I, yeah I'm not going to call UNLV a sleeping giant, um, but, you know, I think all the things are there for them to start taking advantage. That being said, with USC and UCLA headed out, San Diego State seems to be penciled in. If they're going to grab another team, would it make sense, and not necessarily because of UNLV, but the city itself, the facilities, everything it offers, even though there's already a marriage between the Pac-12 and Las Vegas, is UNLV a Pac-12-worthy institution, or can it be? There are some real weird, uh, there's some, man, there's some weird, real weird stuff going on here. We're talking about uh, doctorate, being able to issue doctorates, um, and that being the thing that kept San Diego State out of the Pac-12, and now they're trying to now issue doctorates. So what you know, we're not. I'm not. I don't even get into is as an athletics program, UNLV at the Pac-12 standard. You know, I, look between basketball and football and, and some of the other, you know, stick and ball sports that aren't necessarily revenue. Uh, UNLV is pretty good, and you know, I don't think UNLV is necessarily on a level below 
you know, a Cal or a, uh, you know, a Stanford in both sports, major sports, on par with, you know, say, uh, Washington State. Um, but I don't know if UNLV has the other things that these, again, like I said, snooty Pac-12 presidents. It comes down to that. They are very, very uh, territorial. They believe that their way is better than other people's way. And some, you know, you like, I can defend that. But ultimately, uh, I don't know if that marriage between the UNLV and the Pac-12 is perfect. John, I appreciate you coming on. Let's, uh, we definitely going to, now that we've exchanged numbers, we got, we got to keep in touch. I want to get you on during the week on Cofield and Company, especially with the college football playoff coming up and, and as the bowl matchups are named. Um, and I would imagine we'll see you back out here for the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, maybe not the Las Vegas Bowl, but probably March Madden. Okay, sounds good. And tell everybody where they can find you and what you got coming up. Yeah, uh, yeah. you can read my stuff at SaturdayOutWest.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ByJohnGold, B-Y-J-O-N-G-O-L-D. Not by John Gold, even though I'd love if you bought it for me. Um, and, yeah, uh, love your stuff, man. I appreciate you having me on, and, and it was great to see you. All right, thanks, John. I appreciate it. And, by the way, buy silver. It's going up. Gooch doesn't believe me, but it's been a topic all day. I've been buying silver bars. I've got silver coins. The next one, the kilo. So, uh, yeah. There you go. There's your there's your hot tip Buy for the day. Silver. Buy silver. John Gold, Saturday Out West. It's Gooch. It's Willie. We are bringing this show to a close, and we will be back on ESPN Las Vegas in just a moment. So long, farewell. I'll be just saying goodnight. I hate to go and leave this pretty sight. The final flag with Willie Ramirez and Gooch. Go. Just saying goodbye. So this dude threw up so I can use it. It's a sound of music. I, I, I might skip to the parking garage. Yeah, that's right. So you know, we were a break a couple of couple of breaks back. I think it was before we brought John on, and I made a comment, and Lindsay gave me a dirty look. I mean, just it's not nasty. a dirty look. Like, how dare you even insinuate the call? And I was just being complimentary in general, having been someone who, as a single father. Right? And, right, and I was, by the way, his mo- uh, Jordan's mother and I split the week of his first birthday, and we're still best of friends. But I was the 17-year single father of the year, just so, okay. just you know, in my own eyes. Rainy, yes, rainy. He still wears his belt, Lindsay. Yes, we're happy um, for you. I, all I said, and I come across different, you know, single parent just in general, or just parents in general. But Lindsay would be an entertaining, fun, absolutely fantastic mom because, like. That kid would probably be a better athlete than, I don't know, 60-70%, male or female, than the athletes that her kid plays with or against. See, Lindsay, during this show, has let us both know that she's got a rough side and a soft side. And I think that's important (laughs) for every parent to have. So, like, yeah, she might, There's that balance you were talking about. That's what I'm saying. There has to be a balance. Like, if a kid scrapes his knee... Are you right? Are you going to be? Oh my God! Get up! It's okay. No, no, okay, so yeah. so so here's a tip for you. Okay, when your kid falls, and you tell this to mom, you do not go. Oh, you don't. You you clap. Yeah. Yay! Oh, so right. you're going to gaslight the kid into uh, not validating their pain. Okay. <laughs> no, it's because pain is all in your mind. That's, That's true. I believe that. Because I've seen this happen where if you run over there and you go, oh, the kid cries right. louder. 
now because because I think they just want attention. Right. They don't know well, well, no, 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 no. For a reason, they want attention, Gooch. It's like, I need attention because I need to be regulated. Listen, when they're young, as I speak to both non-parents for now. Who have no parent of the year. When they're that young, they don't know how to react. The reason when they fall, I'm not talking about like if they fall and literally and they're bleeding out and you just clap because, you know, their eyelid looks like Jack Eichel's the other night. I'm talking about when they when they just kind of tumble and they sit, they you know, whatever. They'll immediately look at you. They're looking at you for your reaction, and that's how they're going to react. Right. So if you act happy, they're going to act happy. Now, of course, I mean, if you know, if they, if they got Joe Theismann leg, then yeah, you, of course, you, you need to panic and get them to the ER. That's the bit. They're looking to the parents to help them emotionally regulate. That's what you're there for, is to help calm them down and learn how I to didn't regulate their own that this system. This is going to become a couch session. So this well, I'm is the non-parent here, as you say. Let me just say this, though, and Willie has not shown any tenderness today. Now, in the past, on past shows, there has been lots of tenderness. He tells everybody to get their heads checked, making sure that they love themselves. But today, it's been nothing but hard tough edge, love. Willie. It's been nothing <laughs> but tough, tough love, love, Will. Tough love parent. Yeah, let's let's raise those professional athletes, right? So, let's – do we have a name picked up? Yes, we do. Okay. Okay. Uh, my, my son's name is going to be Atlas Rock Han. Oh, damn. Yeah. It's going monosyllabic across the board. No, I suppose Atlas is too. Atlas, rock, Han. Yes. It rolls off. Paper, rock, scissors. Yes, it it just rolls right off the tongue. It rolls right off the tongue. It's so perfect. Where's Atlas coming from? I've heard it a couple uh, times, but where does it come for inspiration for you? Well, just the Greek story. Sure. With Hercules. You know, he was a titan. Yep. And... But he fell at the hands of Zeus, but there were plenty of... T- but there are other... It depends on which story you read. Atlas does redeem himself down the road. He was a bad guy at first, but then he redeems himself. And that's what I like. That's what I want everybody to, to kind of hold into their minds, like redemption. You can redeem yourself. Lindsay, if you had... Uh, what, what, what are you... What would you be... I mean, have you ever thought about that or not? Ha- about kids? Uh, not, no, not about having kids, but oh. like just like like let's say your friends are having kids, you'd be like, oh, if I was or like names that stuck out. To, stuck I got out. it. Yeah, well, yeah. I I love kids. I I agree with you. I think I'd be a great mom, but then I wouldn't be really be able to be a whole lot else because I would take up all of my energy and regulation for myself. But I Stop. always have really liked the at least for for a boy, Gabriel. Okay, ah. I've liked that one a lot. And then girls yeah. like. I've always had way more picked out, like Kennedy or Addison is a really um, popular one. One of my friends just named her baby Addison, but most of it's like inspiration from Grey's Anatomy. And so I think everybody else has (laughs) kind of taken (laughs) those as well. Sloan is a big one, you know, and so I, I like those. I think of Sloan, if it was a girl, Sloan popped in my mind only because of Ferris Bueller's Sloan Peterson. Yeah. Peterson. That's one of those popular names that are like Ezra is a very popular baby name for boys right now because of like Pretty Little Liars back in the day. It's weird. Oh, yeah. See, I Pretty thought you would liars. name your, just because, again, you know what I mean, hard and soft. I thought maybe you would name Flurry. your child like Laser. Laser. We have Blazer, like Blitzen, yeah. and uh, Doug. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big laser brown blazer brown that's true yeah. that would be uh that would be alliterative <laughs> to a point yeah that I, it well it would be i it, there's no um there's no hockey tie-in with any of Lindsay's name suggestions brownie now, i was called brownie my entire oh, life everybody now, back home calls me brownie no, no 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 what i'm saying is like well like what i mean is like did you didn't um you weren't inspired by 
uh, like Gabriel. It has nothing to do with any hockey player. No, I just, just like, always just really like liked name. it. I mean, Gabriel right, Landeskog right. is a hell of a player, so I mean, well, it true. works out well. This but is true. So yeah. No, I I typically stray away from like hockey stuff. I don't know. I don't know if I'd push my kid to be a a, a hockey player if I had one. Yeah, but they'd have Jordan's to pick it on their own. Jordan, so we had him in 96, which was in the height of everybody naming their kid Jordan because of Michael Jordan. Yep. But her mom named her Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N. So she has she has five boys. Okay. Um, and all with unique spelling. Like Jordan is J-O-R-D-I-N. Nicholas, oh. N-I-K-O-L-A-S. Mm. Brennan, B-R-E-N-I-N. Okay. You know what I mean? So... Yeah. Is there a reason why you named it I-N? Just because you wanted to separate yourself from all the kids in the 90s named so, Jordan? Well, say it. Yeah. It's not Jordan. It's okay. George. Oh, my so Jordan, Or Jordan. Jordan. Jordan Andrew Ramirez. Andrew's named after my grandfather. So, anyway, another show in the books. We only got two left. Gooch and Willie at, at Treasure Island Gold Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We do it every single week. So, get down here. I'll be at Westgate tomorrow. So, will Gooch, unless there's a baby being born. So check us out. 8 to 9 is the Sunday Football Preview Show right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Thanks to our guests, John L. Smith, Rick Goslin, and John Gold, Lindsey, and the Lotus Studio quarterback in the show, James on my left. For Gooch, it is Willie Ramirez throwing the flag on ESPN Las Vegas.